Christmas. It's Christmas. What comes to your mind when you think of Christmas? And, and I'll just tell you, I'm, this is a bait. A couple of things control what you think. First of all is your context. You're here in the church, so you think about the manger, the Jesus, the wise men, and all that. But there's another thing that will control your thought processes, and that is your frame of reference. That's what you see on the screen now. Uh, I used the frame of reference in a staff meeting the other day, and I asked us, how many of us have ever heard the term frame of reference? And uh, honestly, we were not all there, couldn't all be there, but out of a room of about six or seven, only one or two had ever heard the term frame of reference. Now, teenagers, I'm not getting off in the weeds here, so I want you to stay with me because this will be important for what uh, I feel like we need to be doing over the next five weeks. Your frame of reference is that which you have personal knowledge of. It's literally your cocoon that you live in, your shell that you live in, your experiences that you know. You don't, I know there are only two people in here who probably know everything, and that'd probably be Ryan since he's a principal, and I'll, I'll figure out somebody else later. And generally, we don't know everything. We're very limited by our frame of reference. And uh, um, I make no bones about it, I, that I believe, I have a deep belief, that our frame of reference of all of us in this building, good people, people who love the Lord, our frame of reference is highly slanted by the secularist view of the world. Whatever, whatever comes our way, we see it through the lens. And, and I'm going to tell you over the next five weeks, I'm going to take a different part of Christmas each week and talk about it because I want to change kind of how, we're, how we think. Uh, you know, the other day we, in the staff meeting, we were talking about Christmas. And I asked them what came to mind Christmas. And they started out right where you started out with those words, painted those pictures. And I said, okay, lay that aside now. What comes to your mind? And, and pretty quickly, like you, like me, lights, Christmas, bells. Tinsel, trees. One staff member said, presents. Brock, that was your dad. I think he was probably hinting that he wanted you to get him a present, okay? But we had a good conversation about it. And, 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 and the truth is, that's kind of how we're put together. But I, I'm not, not going to make an apology for this. One of the things that drove my thinking as I prayed about today and this month, these five Sundays... In December, I was reading that deep theological book the other day. It's a deep theological book called Facebook. And one of my preacher friends posted this meme. He goes, it says this. If the Apostle Paul could see the church today, we'd be getting a letter. And it's against that backdrop that we'll start with us, but I want us to think about, I want us to think and answer this question today and this month. How does God view Christmas? I mean, we know how we view Christmas. We see, God, we see Christmas through our eyes. What is it like to see Christmas through God's eyes? 
So if I'm going to get us to here, I have to start here. And so one of the first things that we think of when we think of Christmas are lights. We got all kind of lights at Christmas. We got yard lights. We got flashing lights. We got incandescent lights. We got fluorescent lights. We got LED lights. We got blinking lights. We got red lights. We got, and and lights are exciting and they're fun. And I'll just tell you that that uh, um, as a kid, I lived in Purvis. Now, for those, Purvis is a growing place today, but it was not growing. It was growing dull when I was growing up. And, and they would put a few lights on the street, but I always loved coming to Columbia. I told somebody this, they always loved coming to Columbia. We did twice a month because Columbia always seemed to put the, the lights out, the ornaments out. And I said that, somebody said, yeah, boy, you're talking about experience in Columbia. I said, oh, no, this is long before experience in Columbia. We'd come and drive down Broad Street and there'd be, there'd be um, I don't even know what all it was. It was lights and all kind of stuff hanging on the pole. Then you go down Main Street. And I, I just love the lights. Then we got to be adults and we moved to Alabama and we knew where to carry Pi- Piper. She was our only grandchild to, to see Christmas lights. We got in George County. Then we knew where to carry all our grands there because about three miles from us down the road, so there was one of those country folks that had a, about a two-acre plot next to it, Todd. And man, I bet they spent a thousand dollars or more putting out lights because lights are exciting. We get through at the Mac Center, we're gonna have lights over there that's gonna be exciting. Lights are exciting, and lights are a part of Christmas. But brothers and sisters, I don't believe that when God looks at Christmas that He looks to see the lights because He sent the light. He's not worried about lighting up a house or lighting up a yard or a Christmas tree or something else that's, that's in our bailiwick. He don't have to light those things because he sent the light of the world. Why did he do that? Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. One one verse of scripture for this morning. As we talk about the light, chapter nine. Why don't we stand? Because you're going to be seated just for a few minutes as we finish this message. Standing in honor of the reading of God's word. One verse, verse nine, chapter nine, verse two, and it reads. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this morning I asked that you make yourself known. We admit we are living in a world full of darkness. We are living in a land of darkness. And we are ourselves are looking to this light that you gave us on that first Christmas. I pray that if someone here doesn't know the light, I pray that today that they will look to the light 
and step into the light so they can walk in the light and live in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Years ago, as I was beginning to preach and I was studying preaching, a guy who later became a friend, Dr. Jerry Vines, wrote a book on the preparation and delivery of the sermon. And in that book, he, he had something which, uh, if you guys remember, that uh, um, Evan used to refer to a lot in preaching. It's an ESS. It's the essence of a sermon in a sentence. In just one sentence. Today I want to give that to you as we start before we, because I really want us to walk away understanding that when God sees Christmas, he sees the light. Here's the essence of the sentence. It's God saw our need, responded to our need, and met our need even before we knew we had a need. You've just heard the whole message right there. You see, God in heaven looked down on this world that had fallen into sin and darkness. Fallen into blindness. God looked down on this world. And he sent us what we need. So let's just take that now and let's just kind of unpack it. If, you, if you're looking in your bulletin, a very simple outline. As I see this, God saw our need. We find that in the first part of that verse where it says, the people who walked in darkness. You see, the reason God sent the light of the world is because of the darkness. He knew us. He knew you. He knew me. He knew the world. And he knew our deepest, deepest need. And the deepest need that we have is to look around and know that we as his people, as his creation, walk in darkness. The text in the Christian Standard Version says, walk in, people, who, people walking in darkness. Another translation says the people who walked in darkness. Another translation says the people that walked in darkness. But the one that really nails us to the wall is the one that says the people who lived in darkness. Brothers, you hear all this talk about darkness. Well, listen, darkness is a metaphor. All through the Bible, and even today in our culture, darkness is a metaphor for blindness. I mean, you think of someone and they're making a mistake and you hear somebody say about them, oh, they're in the dark about that. They're in the dark about that. They, they, they don't understand that. When someone lacks knowledge, they are in the dark. And I submit to you and me today that when God looks down at this Christmas time, He looks down to us and He says, they are still in the dark. They are still living in the land of the darkness. Why? Because spiritually speaking, sin has not gone away. Spiritually speaking, we need this light. You know, you think about being dark. They're in the dark. We're in the dark. People can be knowledgeable about some things and ignorant about the other things. They can be informed about some things 
and ignorant about others. Do I have my phone? Is that my phone that keeps going off? Probably. I don't think it's mine. The truth is, the truth is, we can be easily informed today about the things of this world and are. Are y'all with me? We can be informed about the priorities of this world. We can be informed about the attitudes of this world. We can be informed about so many things of this world and be ignorant of the Lord's work. You see, the the truth is, is that we can be ignorant about the mindset of God. We can be ignorant about the attitude of God. We can be we can be ignorant about the things of God. All while we're in his church. How many people have I heard talk about when when finally the light of Jesus shined in their life and, and all of a sudden they're not walking in the darkness. All of a sudden they are walking in the light. All of a sudden they're following him. All of a sudden the preacher don't have to coerce them or cajole them to be faithful and to be committed. You see, the truth is... God saw our need, and He didn't just see our superficial need. Our superficial needs are all the things of this world. Our deep need is to be brought from the darkness into the light. Our deep need is to be um, to come to Him for salvation, to come to Him for a light. For me, folks, I'm about to tell something on me. So, men, you can beat me up later. Darkness is a terrible place to be for me. Not because darkness in and of itself is dangerous or bad. I'm talking about the illumination. Because the deal for me is darkness promotes everything that is contrary to God. see, everything that God does not want you to have comes out of darkness. God doesn't want you to have fear. God doesn't want you to feel isolated. God doesn't want you to be lonely. God doesn't want you to lose hope. And yet, in the darkness... That's what happens. God saw that we were walking in darkness. He saw, he knew all that had happened in the Garden of Eden when we had that perfect life and then they chose darkness, they chose sin over him. And God looked down seeing our need, seeing our great need to escape the darkness. I don't know who you are, I don't know what you've been through, I don't know what your life's like. But if you've never escaped the darkness, that is your first and deepest need. Your first need is not to have an iPhone 15. Your first, your first and deep and greatest need is not to have the best car or the best house or the most beautiful spouse. Your first need is to escape the darkness. God saw our need. We just follow that statement right on down. God saw our need, and then God responded to our need. 
God responded to our need. Now, I could just take you through a, a journey in the Bible. Scriptures are replete with how God has responded and continues to respond to our need. But we have to go no further than our verse for the day where it says, The people who walked in darkness, and here's God responding, have seen a great light. You were in darkness, and there is a great light. In fact, one translation says that you will see a great light because it's looking forward to Jesus and when he comes. This is why Christmas is not about all the lights that we have, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful, and they're exciting, exciting, but it's about that great light. If you get back in your scripture, the great light that has dawned, dawned on all of those living in the land of darkness. You know, can anybody tell me, this is not a rhetorical question, this is a response question, you've just been warned. How many people are living in the land of darkness? A lot? That's good, yeah. How many? Everybody! You see, part of our deal is that we don't admit that we're living in the land of darkness and that without Jesus, we walk in the darkness, we live in the darkness, we stay in the darkness without Jesus. God responded to our need by sending us Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said in Galatians 4, I believe it's around verse 4, he says, At just the right time. In the fullness of time, when time was filled up, at just the right time, God sent Jesus, the light of the world. He sent Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, here's your best part. To redeem those under the law. You see, Jesus came as our Redeemer. After Jesus got here, in John chapter 8, he says, Hey, guess what, guys? I'm the light of the world. He who walks with me walks in light. I think about Jesus pronouncing him the light of the world. Then he, later he said, As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But when I leave the world, you're the light of the world. But sometimes we forget how interconnected God's word is. Now, let me just illustrate this to you, how the message of the light, the light of of our Lord Jesus, the light of our God, the light from heaven to earth, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot uh, overcome it. Do you remember the story of the birth of John the Baptist? Now, just to remind you, mom and dad was uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they were old people. Old people don't have babies, except for a couple of instances. The angel came, and and he told Zachariah that he was going to have a baby. And if you remember that, Zachariah didn't believe him. And the angel said, I'll teach you. You're not going to talk anymore until after the baby's born. And he was struck mute. And so he couldn't, he couldn't really interface and talk. And so finally John was born. His wife, Elizabeth, did conceive. She did carry the term. And then John was born. And they were having a discussion about what his name would be. And Daddy couldn't say anything. So he motioned for a piece of paper. And when they handed him something to write on, he goes, His name 
is John. And when he, when he had fulfilled his prophetic responsibility, his mouth was loosed, and now he could start talking. And he began to talk, and he began to prophesy. You know what he said? Let's put it on the screen. He said in Luke 1, this is, this is Zechariah talking. He goes, because of our God's merciful compassion. Watch these words. The dawn. There's your light. The dawn from on high will visit us to shine. So you got dawning and shining on those who live in, here it is, darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, you know what he's talking about, the way of peace? He's talking about bringing us into peace with God. One of the misnomers of the 21st century is that everybody thinks that everybody's already in peace with God. You do realize that outside of the grace of our Lord Jesus, you realize that we're at war with God. We're on a collision course with God. It's getting ready for Wednesday night, talking about the last of uh, the fifth chapter of Amos. It talks about the day of the Lord. Israelite, the Israelites thought that the day of the Lord meant that would be the day that they would win all the battles and they would have all the victories and it would all be pie in the sky by and by. That's kind of how many people today in the church think about the end time. But they forget that the day of the Lord is also a day of judgment as well as a day of blessing. You see, it's only when we walk in the light, as He is in the light, that we can find peace with God. To see Christmas... Through the eyes of our God is to understand that he sees that our deepest need is that we're apart from him and we're walking in darkness and sin. We're apart from his mercy. We're apart from his love. and We're apart from his grace. And that even in our darkened condition, he responded to us by sending Jesus, the light of the world, at Christmas time. Brothers and sisters, Love me, hate me. It's up to you. Family, friends, food, fun, fellowship are all well and good, and they have their place, but they never should trump our Lord's part of Christmas. God responded to our need. God saw it. He responded to it. And then the third part is He met our need. He met our need. Christmas is all about God. Christmas is all about God. It's about Him sending His light, the light, the everlasting light, into the darkness of our world, both to us and for us. God brings light out of darkness. God brings his light to the world. God has sent his light to you and to me to get us out of darkness. 
In Jesus, we find the light of the world. John records it in John 1. Is that on the screen? John 1, verse 4 and 5. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overcome it. You see, the truth is, is that it's always been a mystery to me. I know I'm a flawed man, and I know that my mind don't always work right. But Jesus is God's gift to the world. He's God's gift. He's God's life to the world. He is the life that shines in the darkness. God sent Jesus to the world for you and for me. He sent him here to meet our need. He sent him by way of Bethlehem. And then he went to the cross. And then he rose from the grave. And then he ascended to heaven. God did all of this to his son. And then he gave us a choice. Hello? If you had done that to your child, would you have given anybody a choice? Or would you just forced everybody... To believe Him. You see, He did this before we even realized that we had a need. And this is not one of these social needs and these uh, feel-good needs. This is the deep need of our life. When God sees Christmas, He sees the light. He sent into the darkness to light our way Back to Him. And it ended on an old rugged hillside on a cross and a tomb used just for three days. So the question as we end, if God sent this light to you and me. If he sent this light into this world, this dark world, that's really big in and of itself. If God did this for us, why is it that we miss the wonder of it all? Why is it that we just kind of lay it us? This is big stuff. Why is it that we don't embrace it? Why is it that we don't see the light, the light of Christmas, like God does? I suggest to you that it's, we're now getting back to where we started. This thing called our frame of reference. We live in a world of light. A hundred years ago, 150 years ago, not so much. Today we have all the lights that I mentioned at the beginning of the service. We have the, we have the infrared light. We have the halogen light. We have the incandescent light. We have the lead light. I mean, we, we could go on naming all the lights we have. And here's what I will suggest to you, because we have so many lights offering so much 
illumination from physical darkness that we tend to miss the light that offers us hope for our soul. The truth is in America, we have trouble seeing God because we've become so self-sufficient and self-sustaining. It begins right here with the light of Christmas, with his light of Christmas, with Jesus. So, how do we, how do we kind of make a turn? How do we change our minds? Change it. How do we expand our mindset? I'm going to suggest three things to you. Not on the screen. We're done with the screen. It's not on the bulletin. But I believe God's speaking to us about walking in his light instead of in the darkness of the world. How do we do that? We can go back to our scripture. Isaiah 9, 2. Three things. The first thing that we can do is we can agree with what God says. He says, the people walking in the darkness, who walked in the darkness, that walked in the darkness, are the people who live in the darkness. People is me. People is you. People is us. You see, on our own, we walk, we act, and we live like people who have no connection to the Father. The only time we act like we have connection to the Father is when we get into the context of a church building. Other than that, it's all pets off. We need to agree with, the, with our, our Father that we're walking in, a, in the darkness. We need to, number two, acknowledge what God knows. Don't try to talk him out of it. What, what does God know? He knows that we live in the land of the darkness. Not only do we walk in the darkness, we live in the land of the darkness. That land can be a world, it can be a culture, it can be a, a country, it can be a community immersed in darkness. I don't really want to pick on us, but I could take enough clippings from our area to tell you that by and large, we as a culture in Marion County walk in darkness. We agree with God that we're in darkness. We're, we're walking on a dark path. I'll acknowledge what God knows because that dark path is dark because the environment is dark. And the third thing we can do is accept what God gives. Here's what he gave. He's seen a great light. It's dawned on you and those who are living in the land of the darkness. Our God, he sees the light. And in this light, he offers hope to us. He offers to take out the darkness. He offers a new way of thinking. He offers a new way of walking. He offers a new internal compass because 
He offers new hope. I wonder, 151 years ago, that the very reason our founding fathers came to the name New Hope is because that's what we're supposed to offer this community. New Hope. About three hymnals back, we're now on our 2,000, the hymnal in front of you that we use from time to time. I think it has a 2006, 7, something like that date. One before that was 1992. One before that was 1975. I think you may have to go all the way back to 1954 hymnal. This is when we sang those words of Philip Bliss. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. But the light of the world is Jesus. Seeing Christmas through God's eyes will answer our greatest need. Oh, Brother Jerry, you know, I've had my greatest need. Really? I've had my greatest need answered. Really? Is that right? What's God doing for you lately? Huh? How do you know that you're saved? Well, you know, it doesn't matter. A year ago, six years ago, 60 years ago, 160 years ago, I prayed a prayer. I just really want to make some people really uncomfortable in this worship center as I end. I prayed the prayer. Leave me alone. I remember having a friend, Brother Tommy. I remember having a friend telling me he went to pastor a church. Met one of the meanest men he'd ever met in his life. Name was on the roll of the church, but he's a mean man. Said he'd been there about three years and he died. Family called Brother Tommy and said, I want you to do the service. He goes, okay. Now you remember, he may have not done it like everybody else, but he prayed the prayer. There are people in this room that the only, the only thing you're hanging on to is that you whispered some words in a prayer one time. And that's, that's your safety blanket. I think God gave me a revelation for you. Over our lifetime, we have dealt with and been around many people who have had addictions. Have you ever had anybody in your family or a friend who had an addiction? They'll lie to you. They will lie to you. Not because they're bad people. It's because the addiction of them overrides their personality. And how many times have I heard the spouse? You see, because the spouse gets the abuse. The person who's addicted will do something bad and go off the rail, and then they'll come back and promise the world to be okay. And how many times have I heard in a, a spousal response like this? I've heard more than enough words. I want to see some action. I wonder today, for those who the only thing your hopes are pinned on is a prayer years ago, I wonder today if God looks down at those and go, I've heard enough words. I want to see some action. Because Jesus never invited anyone to pray a prayer and be saved. Now, prayer would be a part of it. But his, his invitation was always, 
come follow me. Are you following him today? Are you walking in the light as he is in the light? If not, today would be a great day to move from the darkness to the light. Would you bow with me, please?